you've got to get on with it. Hope's not a strategy. You know, you've got to start doing things yourself. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 196 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. To grow your practice, attracting more work and generating more revenue is vital. But how do you do this? In this episode, Alistair Marshall will share some more answers with you. But please make sure you first listen to the last episode before this, because this episode will make more sense if you do. Number six, the message. What are you selling? We might move on to in terms of using the S word. So this is a the S or selling word that makes people very nervous. So I'm very empathetic. You don't learn this at accounting school. People say, Alistair, I can't do it. It's beneath me, below me. Or beyond me. Yeah. Makes me feel just it's something I can't do. It makes me feel desperate and cheesy and I'm not doing it. But you'd be amazed how easy it actually is when you get a system and so on. The other thing is often accounting practices or accounting personnel don't have a marketing problem. They have a business development or conversion problem. So they spend quite a lot of money on websites and sponsorships and advertising and hospitality and Google AdWords and glossy brochures. And this generates leads into the business, but very little is invested in upskilling people on how to convert these leads. And, you know, I think there's a, people need to understand, how do you get better? You tend to have a coach. So there'll be people listening to this who have golf lessons, sailing lessons, singing lessons, dancing lessons. Many of the things around BD and sales, you can learn, you know, you get a coach, you know, even Tiger Woods and Novak Djokovic, these people, they have coaches to get better at what they do. And a lot of this stuff's available online. Obviously, I teach it for a living because I've been doing it for 30 odd years. But people need to understand it's all possible. So quite often I, I say to people, describe the best business development person you've ever met. What attributes did they have? And people come back with, you know, personable, confident, empathetic, passionate, friendly, positive, all of these types of human traits. No one actually gives me a skill set response and says, you know, oh, the, the guy was awesome at opening a business discussion and the way he drew out the needs and wants of the clients with, with questions was really good. And the way he presented the features and benefits of our accounts he practiced versus others was fantastic. And the way he got over all the issues regarding we've already got a client or sorry, we've already got a provider or we've used you before or you're too expensive. The way he handled those objections was great. And then the way he seamlessly closed to an action point and a few you know, and a close of a sale was awesome. People don't ever tell me that. <laughs> and you can learn all that. You really can. So as long as you can get the mindset and the attitude right, the skill set can follow as long as you go somewhere to do it. And, you know, often people will watch me for the first time speaking. So they'll say, well, Alistair, you have the gift of the gab or you're able to talk and I can see why you're good at this. But I actually challenge that and say, I can hold my own at selling, but that's not because I talk too much. It's because I ask better questions, so I get better answers. And when I work with accountants on conversion, a lot of it is around what questions to ask when you get to that flat white meeting. 
So stop talking about yourself and ask the right questions that finds the pains and needs of the potential client. And people will do a lot better to go with that. But in terms of I can't do it, I just think that's a complete misnomer because, as I said early on or in the introduction, I've worked with some very introverted technical accountants in the past and they've become really good at this but that's because I've given them the framework and the you know what you say at what particular time and they've they've just worked on it and been able to introduce it into their everyday practice and it works for them. Number seven social media. I might now touch on social media so Social media is omnipresent of our modern day lives, but I'm not sure how many accountants use it well to attract new revenues and business. I would say, you know, social media, you'll get out of it directly proportional to what you put on, which I think I mentioned earlier. So, you know, in terms of LinkedIn, there are other things. LinkedIn is by far the best. And I think it's just a, it's a price of being an accountant in 2019 is that you have to be there because when you're Googled, if people don't find you there, they'll think it's pretty strange. I think in a professional services world, you can also link Twitter to your LinkedIn account. So uh, you don't have to post on both portals. They can both go out at the same time. Now I'm making a distinction there between those two, which is good for professional services versus Facebook and Instagram, which is really about building community. It might be right in certain circles at certain times, but in a business-to-business perspective, I would stick with LinkedIn and Twitter. Alistair, LinkedIn is very important for you because you sell to professional services. Sure. But when your clients are not professionals, but for example, your clients are plumbers or retirees, etc., then I can imagine LinkedIn is less important and other social networks might be more important. Yeah, absolutely so, which is why I'm saying if depending on whether you're building community, you might need a different route to market. It all comes back to having your client profile and understanding the target market and then spending some time with them and asking the questions around, you know, which social media platforms do you use? Which which groups do you go to? What events or networks do you go to? What trade associations do you join? What trade shows do you attend? You know, really understanding the client and where the opportunity comes for raising your profile with that type of audience. So you're absolutely right in what you say. One thing, regardless of who the target market is, is your use of video in the modern world. So 10 years ago, when I did my first video series, I had to hire in people who were proper videographers and they had proper lights and sound and all these types of things. It was quite expensive. Now, I don't know how many people listening to this piece drive a Bentley car, which is about a million dollars worth of vehicle. But the latest Bentley car, that was shot on an iPhone and mixed on an iPad. So if it's good enough for Bentley and a million dollars, it's probably good enough to promote your own accountancy practice. So most people have, you know, a Hollywood studio walking around in their handbag or in the back pocket of the jacket. So you just need to be disciplined enough to actually to actually use it and have the confidence to talk to the camera on occasion and it's huge you know video is absolutely the thing for the future and people don't expect it to be hollywood hd standard if you're on the bus or the train doing a commute you don't need it to be absolutely perfect and don't wait until it's perfect before you put it up just put it up and and see what the result is but in terms of the engagement and the way that it gets shared online 
if you've got a video piece, it's much more likely to be watched and shared. And then the algorithms of these platforms then kick in and then you, you'll see, you know, it goes viral. And, you know, when I've done bits of video, you can get like three, 4,000 views in a matter of 24 hours, which people probably wouldn't do if they just used the written word. So I'd really you know, get people to consider that when putting something together. Yes, and I can imagine video is very powerful because it basically replaces the very beginning of a meeting. It allows your client to see you. It already gives you a face-to-face interaction even though it's not really face to face yeah well we're trying to start a relationship here and if you don't have a linkedin profile with a photograph i would argue it's a bit like going networking with a bag on your head because you can't see your face so you know what the video does you know and i have a difficult challenge because of the heaviness of my accent the video thing at least on the website people have a perception of what i'm going to look like and sound like also, you know, understand people aren't buying billable hours, they're buying your intellectual property. And you can share this over video, you can host it on a YouTube site, you can send it out to people on newsletters. All of these different routes to market are hugely important, like I say, ebooks and everything. So people want in the modern world to have a low cost, low risk understanding or experience with you before they go and invest the dollars. So what does that look like in your practice? How do you make that work? So the other thing is lots of accountants have very similar looking websites. So you just list a whole list of services, but that doesn't really make you stand out versus anyone else. The other thing is people then make it worse by investing AdWords, Google AdWords, which are quite expensive, and then drive traffic to a website, but it doesn't convert because there's no value share. There's no opportunity there to attract visitor data or build the database. So Massive shout out to, for you to give a video or a piece of signature content away in exchange for an email address so you can start a relationship and engage these people over time. If anyone's not sure what that looks like, if they were to go to my website, professionalservicesbd.com.au, you'll see that on pretty much every page, there's the opportunity to download the ebook, which kind of goes along with the conversation we're having now called 10 Immediate Actions to Generate Revenue and Cash. And that's the way I start building a relationship with people. So if they come to the website, they're vaguely interested in what I've got to say. If they download that ebook, that then turns them into a warmer lead and it allows me to start the conversation over time. And it's almost like a drip process. So people very rarely buy a new professional services provider after just one connection. It could take six, seven, 27 connections, but that's hard without the email address. And as long as you don't spam people and you continue to send them interesting content, they won't unsubscribe. And that's how you build trust over time with a stranger. But it's important that you don't just send them a generic newsletter with content that's not relevant, which takes me back to where we started this conversation around targeting and really understanding what, where the client is or who your ideal client is. Makes the content much easier to make it practical. Number eight, marketing ladder system and pricing. So I'm going to go from here. I'm going to talk about experts don't charge low fees. So this is a real key. At the moment, there's a lot of price pressure in the marketplace with accounting services. And I want people to understand that the markets of the world are polarizing in whatever product or service you do. So the example I often give 
for people who are into cars is that, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis don't have a problem selling cars at the top end. At the bottom end, Tata of India can sell millions of cars at entry level. But in the middle, you have Holden and Ford in Australia who couldn't make any money selling motor cars because they were being generic. They were trying to be everything to everybody generalist. And that's really hard and you don't want to be there. Maybe a more female take, uh, my wife's game is luxury retail. And the likes of Louis Vuitton and Chanel and Christian Jokachor have no issue selling handbags and shoes and dresses at that level. At the other end of town, you'll have entry-level players like Supre and Lowe's who can sell large volumes of clothes. In the middle, you have Myers and David Jones who have really struggled to make any money trying to be everything to everybody with a very generalist offer. And it's really a place where professional services don't want to play either. So you have a choice. You can either aspire to be perceived as the expert and put your prices up. Or you can go to the bottom end and just try and sell yourselves on price. But if you win a client on price, you'll lose that same client on price when someone comes along and offers to do it cheaper. So what I'm really trying to get people to understand, and in professional services where for years people have been taught that, you know, you kind of have margins of around 35%. You know, if you put your prices up by 10%, you can afford to lose about a quarter of your volume and still make the same net profit. And I talk to accountants who don't get this and it staggers me. So conversely, if you discount by 10% to win the work, you have to get 50% more volume to make the same cash profit. So that's bonkers. So at the moment, I'm encouraging people to essentially put the prices up by 10% on a piece of work. Therefore, you can take Friday off. Isn't that a lovely place to be? Or what people are doing at the moment are discounting by 10% to win the work, which means you've got to work Saturday and Sunday and half of Monday to make the same cash profit, which is just nonsensical. So I'm really, I want everyone on this call to aspire to go upwards rather than downwards. But you can't just tell people you're the expert without doing some of the disciplines that we've talked about earlier in the podcast. The other thing people might be interested in is that I'm a big believer that accountants try too hard to win the audit piece of work first, which is one of the hardest things to do. Think about when you go to Coles or Woolworths, you walk down an aisle and there's a lady there with pieces of cake on a tray and you take the little sample size and you try it and you go, that's wonderful, where do I buy a full size one? So what does that look like in your accountancy firm? So what's the low risk sample size offering to attract new clients where you can give them or entice them with a sample of how good it is, how good the experience is to work with you and your firm and your practice, that'll make them go and buy other things. I think that's a, a big thing for people to consider in the accountancy world. And while we're on prices, please, please, please rehearse what you're going to say when you get the inevitable objection that you know is coming, which is you're too expensive, because I see too many people try and fudge the answer and say, well, you know, you only get what it's worth and all that is really a bad answer. You should be able to scientifically sell why your price is as it is. Now, one more controversial point on pricing is I usually, when I'm working in person with firms, I'll say how many times have clients asked for the money back on the service in the last 12 months? And it's almost always never, or very rarely, or one or two clients in a year. So I want people to, who are listening to consider offering a guarantee of service on certain types of work where you go, if you're not completely happy with the service, you can have your money back. Now, that might seem alarming, but you might get one client a year who asks for the money back. 
but you might win 10 new clients a year who are considering you versus another option, but because you take the risk away by guaranteeing your service, you'll actually win them up front as a new client and the revenue of those 10 clients will massively outweigh the loss of the one. So just something for people listening to consider. Number nine, compelling copywriting skills. Okay, I'm going to go to compelling copywriting skills. This is a skill set not really known to most accountants, really. But people need to understand people buy the result of the service. They don't buy accounting services, they buy the result. So most accounts are fairly lousy at talking results and instead just talk process. So I want people to do what I call a 60-second sense test or brand test. So go to your website, read your brochures, look at your tender documents, read your adverts, think about what goes in your email blasts, and ask yourself the question, would you buy you? So what's the result of what you do? So people need to find answers to the questions, why do I need your product or service at all? Why should I buy it off you rather than another accountancy firm? And why should I do it now rather than wait? Now, they're three pretty difficult questions. But if you find answers to those, you're really ahead of the game versus the competition. And think about if I took your logo away from your homepage of your website, is it obvious to me within less than 10 seconds who you are, what you do, who you do it for, what's the result of what you do? And I have to say, I would be surprised if most people can answer yes to that because it's not what I see. Instead, I see very generic phrases around, you know, we're a partner-led firm offering client-centric business solutions with pragmatic thinking, and it's just not good. The other thing people can learn from is understand that a website is based for the visitor, not for the host to talk about themselves overly. So try and avoid starting every sentence or paragraph with I, us, our, and we. That's not good practice. And instead, really think about how you change the wording for the visitor. Do you recommend to hire a copywriter? Possibly. Copywriters are variable in quality. Again, I have one that I recommend who's very good and very reasonably priced. It's such an important thing. I think if you were redoing your website or you were rewriting brochures or email blasts or something like that, it's good to have a third party or someone who is a, a professional copywriter to have a look over it for sure. So who do you use? I use a lady called Elizabeth Wilson, who's based on the northern beaches in Sydney. And I'm sure if anybody wishes to reach out to Liz, then if you get in touch with her or myself, I'll make sure that happens. Number 10, engagement. So I'm kind of going to come to the, uh, close this up. I want people to consider service or client service because that's so important. I've mentioned earlier that clients won't fall in love with a firm until the staff do. Service is key. And I kind of refer to client services a bit like an emotional bank account. So every touch point any of your internal team have with a client is like making a deposit in the bank account in the knowledge that there will be a day where someone screws up and there's a, a chance you might go overdrawn. So every touch point, every day, it, it builds an image with a client. So, you know, be careful of the person on reception who scares people away or the lady in accounts who asks for the money in a in not a particularly nice way. You know, at, at some point, someone will drop the ball. So really think about this 
service. Are you really good or better than anyone else? I have a service charter. It's something I send to people when they come on board as a new client. It outlines what they can expect from me in one page. So how quick I'll turn telephone calls around, emails around, all that type of thing. I think it's a good thing to have. I think if you're an accountant going to see a major client, it's good to send them an agenda of the meeting in advance so they can prepare. Also, so they can add things to the agenda if they wish to. So it should be a two-way conversation, not just a one-way conversation from the accountant to the client. And if that's the case, you should give them the opportunity to make inputs on the agenda. I think that's an important thing. I think you, th you then should follow up with minutes of the meeting within 24 hours that out outlines what you're going to do as a result of the meeting, what you want them to do as a result of the meeting. Maybe if they're a, a category A client, which we talked about earlier, you might already make a date for the next meeting next month or next quarter, whenever that is. So again, that subconsciously conveys in their mind that they're important to you. And you know, when it comes to service, think about benchmarking yourself. So you might benchmark yourself against a local provider similar to you. You might do it versus what I call as a big hairy gorilla. So one of the big national firms, go and have a look at a website, go and download some material, see how well you're treated in that environment. And then I usually ask people, who do you perceive as the expert in the accounting field? So if you were buying the services you deliver from someone, who would you go and buy them off? And why do you put that person on that pedestal? What have they done from a service or business development perspective to raise their visibility and credibility with you that would make you select them as your go-to? and see what you can pinch, because I think that's uh, it's, there'll be some important learnings there from who you perceive to be the expert in your field. There's obviously a question here around why do some firms win at this and some firms don't, and it comes down hugely to culture. So, so far, I've been very good as a consultant. I've not used any consultancy phrases, which I try and avoid, but there is a, the inevitable culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. So I go to lots of accountancy practices that have a strategy document or a written document around how they're going to achieve growth, but they don't actually use it. It's not a working document every day. It's not something in people's conscious. And once a year, they blow the dust off it when they go to the partners away retreat in the Hunter Valley with the partners. And that's kind of it which is a real shame. So you've got to live this exercise. You know, you've got to do it. Don't just talk about it. You know, growing firms, it's not a spectator sport. This word culture, you're right. It is a fuzzy word. Culture to me is your way of doing things. And sometimes people have described it to me as what goes on when no one's watching. Yes, that's good. I don't know whether I can definitively explain it. What I can do, and I'll touch on it now, is... The things that go on in firms that win regarding culture. So the first thing is, is that they document business development goals. So they actually have written plans that says, you know, we will do so many hours. We'll try and give so many speeches. We'll try and do LinkedIn. We'll try and write so many articles. People who do that tend to win. And they have the tools and resources given to them to win. So they have the time. And if they need a financial budget to achieve certain things, they're available. There's also, in many professional firms, they have incentives for hitting a billable hours target, but often there's no consequences for non-achievement. And I still go to accountancy firms where they've got old Johnny still there and he hasn't hit his billable hours target for five or six years, but he's still there because people are too frightened to deal with it and address the challenge. 
that's a cultural problem because successful people will look at the management and say, you're not addressing that. That's not fair. And you have to think about keeping your best human capital on on side and you don't want to lose people because you're not seen to address the issues when they arise. Also, you know, you've got to train and support these people. So if they're not achieving, what have you done to train them to get them to the right levels and give them support in this business development area? In many cases, people don't do anything. So if you don't get any results, then you're kind of culpable. You know, you need to have the right people doing the right tasks. So, you know, we talked earlier about there may be people on the podcast who are sort of introverted and don't think they're right for public speaking. Absolutely right. Then don't do it. Then you might be better doing something written. You know, you can kill a brand by putting the wrong presenter up on a stage. So it has to be horses for courses and make sure the right tasks are done by the right people. And finally, you know, the firms that win, they tend to have one person who leads by example. There's one champion in the firm that people can look up to. Often the phrase is a rainmaker, but you need someone on board who they're the go-to person on all things around this BD and marketing and they lead and drive the culture in the firm. You've got to get on with it. Hope's not a strategy. You know, you've got to start doing things yourself. So sort the underperformers. If you've got staff that aren't performing, do something about it. If you've got services that don't make any money because you have, don't have any clients for them, stop offering them. If you've got clients who you don't make any profit from, change them. If you've got suppliers who aren't adding value, change them. There's a number of things there. The other thing to consider, something I learned from the banks in the UK, is 84% of billionaires are self-made. So most people don't think this. They think they inherit it, but that's not true. And in a growth of digital over the last 10 years, it's even more prevalent now. So when I worked with one of the national banks in the UK, we did a, a test where we asked lots of people who were millionaires the same set of questions as wannabe millionaires to see if there was anything we could draw so this is kind of the learning the people who were millionaires had taken accountability and taken action so if there was an issue you know the website wasn't providing leads so they changed it the salesman made no sales they changed it you know the person on reception was scaring people away they changed them you know the, the lady in accounts couldn't collect the debt they changed them they took action Whereas the wannabes who didn't achieve anything, it was never their fault and there was always someone else to blame. So they would say, well, it wasn't my fault. The bank didn't give us any backing and you know, the salesman didn't sell anything and the website didn't bring us any leads and the lady on reception scared everyone off, but they didn't actually do anything about it. So I need to really challenge the people listening, You know, be accountable for your own actions and make things happen. Now, I've talked about a number of disciplines in the last 50, 55 minutes or so around things that may be out of your comfort zone. So here's a challenge for you. There will be people listening who have children. Now, children have no ego, so they're happy to fail. Successful accountants who've usually, you know, been to university, you know, they have letters after the name, they might have a partner on the door at the office, um, they're less likely to take risk because they don't like embarrassment of something not being perfect first time. So kids... Angry Birds, the game, 20 levels, they fail on level 16. They'll fail, they'll fail, they'll fail, they'll fail. No harm in trying till the next time. Successful professional services people tend to go, oh, I tried that thing that Alistair suggested, but I tried it once and it wasn't perfect, so I'm not going to try it again. So I really need to encourage you to keep going and allow yourself to fail occasionally because you'll never realise how close you are to winning on the day you give up. 
you know, it's a real challenge for you. And I'm going to finish by saying you can't do today's job with yesterday's methods and still expect to be in business tomorrow. So people listening to this, I want you to consider this. At some point tonight, you're probably going to go to bed. And before you go to bed, you're probably going to clean your teeth. And you, at that point, you'll catch yourself looking at yourself in the mirror above the taps. And I want you to quiz yourself on which group of people do you want to be in? Are you going to go and take on board some of the things we've talking about here today and make yourself really successful? Or are you just going to go back and put the comfortable shoes on tomorrow at the office and be the same person you've always been? And, and that's my challenge to people listening to this podcast today. And I hope they've enjoyed it. Welcome back. So be clear on what you offer. Leverage social media, polarize your pricing, offer results and focus on your staff. The only way to have happy clients is to have happy staff. I like Alistair's call to action. Identify one area of improvement and do it. In the next episode, episode 197, we will go back to our mini-series about GST on imports. Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne We'll talk about the Netflix tax, GST on services and digital products. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>